0: Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer during this month of April, which is Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Our podcast from the Max Mallory Foundation offers insights from testicular cancer survivors, their caregivers, and others touched by cancer. We do this in memory and honor of Max Mallory, who died at age 22 from testicular cancer. I'm your host, Joyce Lofstrom, a young adult and adult cancer survivor, and Max's mom. This is Joyce Lofstrom, and welcome to our podcast, Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation. I'm your host, and I'm a young adult and uh, adult cancer survivor, and I'm really happy to welcome today two guests to share their story, uh, Shane Kenny and Sarah Platez. and uh, we'll go from there, and you, they have a lot of... Um, interesting things that they've been doing that I think we'll want to hear about. And I'll just give you a, a, a clue, which is ice cream. So you you have to keep listening now. So Shane, I'm so glad you could join us. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with testicular cancer?
1: Hey, Josh, thank you for having me on this uh, wonderful podcast. And um, I just want to start off by saying um, I'm a 27-year-old male and originally from Ireland. I moved over to America about six years ago. Um, And then about five years ago, I started having a small little bit of pain in my left testicle. Um, Just kind of like in your stomach kind of pain. I just kept complaining about like, oh, I'm getting very tired. Oh, the the sharp pain is in my stomach. I didn't really know how to explain it to anyone. So I kind of just kept it to myself um, until I got to a stage just there last last year during COVID, about six months ago, um, I got diagnosed with stage three uh, testicular cancer. So that was a huge shock. But like during the five years of just keeping the pain to myself, um, it just gradually got worse and worse to where it started going down my leg, it started going into my back, I started getting sick serious back pains on nights out with my friends and um, Kept blaming it on my bad stomach because I always had bad stomach issues But I just didn't know it was anything to do with with, with my testicle um, Went to the hospital Complaining of like a cyst on my testicle and um, They sent me to urologist and the urologist said okay, we need to do surgery Gut surgery, and then they just diagnosed me with stage three tested for cancer.
0: So, how long did you say you waited before you went? I...
1: This is going on probably four or five years now.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's what I thought you yeah. said. So, I just wanted to make sure. So, uh...
1: yeah, shocking.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Sarah, why don't you jump in and just tell us a little bit of how you connected with Shane. And I know you were with him during this journey and kind of share that story.
2: Yeah. Hi, Joyce. Thanks uh, for having me on here as well. Um, so Shane and I have known each other for almost four years now. Um, we're both bartenders in New York City and, you know, mutual friends and bar neighborhoods. We just kind of cross paths. Um, we're now business partners. And um, we had just started our ice cream business, um, Big Shane's Ice Cream, about a year ago. So that was March of 2020, right before the shutdown of COVID. And throughout everything, um, Shane was complaining of pains and aches. And, you know, he's had a bad stomach ever since I've known him and just kind of thought, oh, well, maybe this is related. And so I told him to go and get checked out. And so just kind of sent him on his way on his own. Um, his family isn't here. My family's in California. So I know what it's like to be on your own far away from home. And so, you know, he went to the doctors and kind of came coming back with different scenarios. Well, they told me this. Well, they told me that, you know, nothing seemed extreme until I remember the moment I'm sitting on my computer doing some work. And text messages are popping up saying, I have cancer. Hmm. And, you know, you're just like, what? You just, you just, you just went in for like a checkup. What happened? You know, like this, it it was like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process. And, you know, couldn't imagine him sitting at the doctors all by himself um, being told that. And that's, it's literally all he could say was, I have cancer. I'm not sure what's happening. So I was like, okay. Okay. Get get your paperwork. Come back. Let's let's see what's happening. So that was just kind of how, you know, it all started from there. Um, yeah. So that was just a shock in itself.
0: Yeah. It always is. I, no matter. I think who you are, but especially when you're young, uh, I think it's a very hard uh, diagnosis to hear. So. Sh-
1: yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. It's just so. Obviously, like four years ago, I went. I went to go get this checked out, and um, this is a time where I didn't know Sarah. I was on my own. I was how old? I was 22, so I was very young, naive, and silly. And I was in a country that I just wasn't familiar with. Um, I had a lot of pain four years ago. I went into a urologist, and just it's a whole taboo kind of like scenario. Like there, it's it's involved your 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 testicles. It's kind of like an area to where like it's meant to be forbidden, you're only meant to like, show a like, certain number of people. It's a, it's a weird scenario. So I was going into the doctors on my own, and they just didn't know what... I kept explaining my pain, and they just didn't know what to do, and they wanted to do cameras. They wanted to do a camera uh, in true, obviously, the penis, and I was like, no, no, no way am I doing that. I am not doing that. I'm 22. I'm fine. I'll get over it. And then I just pretended the pain went away for a couple of weeks, and which it did, it did. It, came, it kept coming and going, kept coming and going. Some weeks it would be my stomach, some weeks it would be my back, some weeks it would be my legs. And then forward three years ago, I mean, forward three years, or four years, and um, the pain just got crazy to a point to where I was like, sir, I need to go to the doctors right now. There's something wrong here absolute fire down downstairs. My leg has seized up, my back is seized up, and then that's why I finally went into urologist and I said this I have to go, I have to get this stuff done. No matter what has to be done, I'll do it.
0: Well it sounds uh, so you're saying four years ago when you went to the doctor they didn't know what it was or what to do, which is disturbing. No.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I probably just I'm I'm very bad with the doctors. Like, go there like a space cadet I I always had to bring my mother in with me, I'll tell you that, which I'm kind of ashamed of. But listen, I hold my hands up because my mom would send me into the doctors on my own. And I'll walk out and she'd be like, So, what's wrong with you? And I'd be like, um, I don't know. Because there's so much explaining. Yeah. There's
0: so yeah. much like, So then you went through chemo, is that correct, too? You just finished that recently, too, right, in December, your chemo?
1: Yeah, so got diagnosed in August and started my chemo in September. So that brought me all the way up to uh, the last week of December. Okay. So, So yeah, chemo chemo is very tough now, to be honest. Um, I I wouldn't have got through it if it wasn't for my friends, my family, Yeah, and um, my fatigue was terrible. I couldn't sleep. And then when I started taking some oils, like the days just got a lot easier, a lot better, a lot happier.
0: And I've heard that from other people too. That that the cannabis oil really does make a big difference. So I'm glad that you it's, had that. So.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. So it's crazy. I, I never even never even knew. Yeah,
0: I know. There's a lot out there. I think that uh, has. Be helpful that many people maybe either don't know about or don't have access to. So, so now
1: or it's frowned up, framed upon as well. Yes,
0: yes, that's true. Well, so now we've kind of teased your ice cream company. Um, so I don't know, Sarah, do you want to start or Shane to kind of give us the history of how you got going with Big
2: Shane's Ice Cream?
1: Ladies first. I'll jump in.
2: Actually, so. Uh, it's called Big Shane's ice cream um, obviously Shane is the face and you know he's the Mikey likes it or not um, he is just a, he has a huge sweet tooth I think uh, one thing I've learned about you know the Irish culture and food is you always have biscuits and cookies and ice cream and it's just a typical household staple and that was just not in my house ever not for any other reason that. We just didn't like sweets. It's funny. As a kid, I just, I didn't like chocolate, didn't care for ice Mm. cream. And so that wasn't a thing for me. So we were always talking about the lines around New York city at 12 midnight, 1.00 AM. You'd see a line out the door and you'd be like, what club is this? What bar is this? And it was an ice cream shop, you know, didn't (laughs) matter winter, summer, any season, there was always a line. So, you know, it was just kind of a discussion. And so when Shane and I first met, I was bartending on the side. I'm a pastry chef full time. And he was like, Oh, you're a pastry chef. Awesome. Can you make me some ice cream? You know, I'm, I really love some honeycomb ice cream. That's not a thing here. I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like, what's honeycomb ice cream? Never heard of it." You know, me thinking there's actual honeycomb in there. It literally took me like six months to perfect this recipe. And we're still tweaking it to this day. And this was about two years ago. Um, honeycomb is like, It's a salted caramel flavor, very popular in Ireland. And it's made with sugar, water, and syrup, golden syrup. And it's just like a toffee candy that's thrown in a vanilla base. And you get like swirls of caramel flavors and little... Crisps of
1: honeycomb, pure, pure sugar,
2: pure sugar. Pure after sugar. That sounds um, wonderful. So, <laughs> so that was just kind of the start of it. It was all jokes and giggles, and then one day, um, or I was recipe developing for a company, and so I I've learned how to mold flavors together and how to test and what to do, and so we just were like, let's do this for real. Let's you know, kind of slowly start up an ice cream brand and see what's happening. So I got asked to open up a coffee shop with a friend um, behind a bar. So it would have been a coffee shop speakeasy in the back of a bar called Tara Rose in Murray Hill. And, you know, one of the things he said was, I'll sell, I'll sell you guys' ice cream here. So he helped kind of build our brand as well because we were like, great, let's let's create some staple flavors. This was like a rush. We'll sell it here, you know, and this was right before COVID shutdown. And that's kind of the beginning Um, But our original motto was to go business to business and make boozy ice creams and offer some obscure flavors to bars because that was our industry. And we knew a lot of people who would use it. Um, But I'll let Shane take over that once COVID happened, it it changed completely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like the initial plan, like obviously I knew Sarah was a really talented pastry chef and she made me ice cream one day. And then, so I was kind of being a bit, kind of funny and cocky in behind the bar because that's who I am I'm entertaining when I'm serving drinks and cocktails I was telling people that I'm doing a little side hustle making ice cream and this bar owner heard me and he was like hey can you make me a margarita ice cream I have a margarita festival coming up next month for um, for my bar and I was like hell yeah of course we can it's big shane's ice cream We can do anything you want so I went home <laughs> and I texted Sarah yes yeah. Texas, Sarah, and I was like, We have our first order for next month. We need to make two gallons of uh, margarita ice cream. And Sarah was like, Jesus, like, it's not that easy. And I was like, What do you mean it's not that easy? You can do it. But so anyway, we got the job done. We <laughs> delivered it and it was a huge success. And then he just kept putting in more orders and orders. And then we were like, Oh, we could do this as a side hustle. So then when Sarah got asked to do the the coffee shop, we were like, Okay. This can be where everyone can try our like ice creams because everyone was hearing that I was making ice cream but couldn't get to taste it because we weren't doing small individual ones. So Sarah opened up the coffee shop. Big Shane's ice cream was about to have a launch party three days after St Patrick's Day. I flew over my whole family. She spent a fortune because I knew, I knew like I was going to go back to bar work and then make that money back. So I was like, come on, mom and dad, come on over. My brother and sister. And then lockdown came, and then it was just like, oh, Jesus, we had all this ice cream. My whole family went there, went home. We're sitting there at home, two weeks past, still lockdown, no income. So we were just like, hey, we just we need to sell this ice cream, make some money. And then people were just like, whoa, this this ice cream is so good. Keep selling. And that's how it came about. We just kept making ice cream and selling it Monday, Tuesday, 200 points a week when it was coming into the summer. It was awesome.
0: And then I know too from the article I read that your <clears throat> when you found out you had cancer, your community came together too and helped you distribute it to New York City as well as Queens and all around. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Funny enough, now so like during like during during all this like before before the obviously the cancer diagnosis, I went back to work because the bars opened up again. They were doing like takeaway delivery and all that. So. That's when the pain started hitting me hard. That's when I went in. I said to the boss, I need to leave work because I'm in big. So that's when I went in, got the diagnosis, uh, went through all the chemo, kept the ice cream going, but that's when the community came together. Um, all my friends started helping me, bringing me in to our, my 7 o'clock appointment, bringing me home at 2, 2 p.m. after chemo. Um, you're in a very bad mood when you're doing doing chemo you're very tired you're very grumpy you're kind of hating life because your energy is just zero yeah. it's it's not it's not a nice place so if you know anyone doing chemo please just be nice to them treat them well because they are liable to flip i've flipped a couple of times i was just like glad because my mates wanted to talk to me when they picked me up they were like oh shane how are you it's so good to see you and i was just like "Yeah." Stop. but my whole community they they were amazing. They sent over food and um, they helped Sarah out. It was, it was unbelievable. The, the community in Sunnyside, Queens, uh, mostly Irish, but Americans, they've literally they helped me out a lot as well. We all came through. Thank God.
0: That's wonderful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They would, you know, people helped us deliver ice cream. Um, they would offer anything, you know, like, I know you're busy, you know, here's some dinner so that you can go keep providing ice cream, you know, Um, And Shane was actually, and I think his age worked in his favor at this point, but he was one week in chemo, two weeks off. And honestly, the day after chemo, he was fine. He was like, I'm great. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do some ice cream. I want to deliver. I want to go talk to so-and-so. I want to go, you know, and he, through everything, was still willing and able and physically just wanting to do as much as he could for the ice cream. and so in that sense the community just supported and kept you know sending messages and wanting to buy ice cream where can I get it and what can I do this and
1: yeah they, they, grow they, kept, they, kept order, they kept ordering ice cream didn't they and I was like oh
2: <laughs> it was a good and bad thing because it, it was a good and bad
1: thing where I was sitting there and Sarah had to put me to work so I'm there like after chemo and I was like putting labels on, on the packaging and then falling asleep and then waking back up and doing more packaging
2: <laughs> yeah but like he did and you know we both did and the community the community just in general and queens and everybody here we couldn't have done it without all of this support you know and shane was a bartender in this neighborhood that you know living and selling and working and all of these things. So everyone knew who he was. And so I think just literally he'd walk out of the apartment and people would scream like Shane, big Shane, how are you? You know? And like, that's so uplifting. Your family's far away. You're going through chemo and you walk out your front door and you're almost a celebrity, you know? And that's like, that really helps him kind of go through everything. Um, so yeah, we did. We got a lot of sub- community support, which is amazing.
0: So through this whole yeah. journey, Shane and you too, Sarah, but Shane, first, what do you think was the biggest challenge in dealing with your testicular cancer?
1: Um, kind of, kind of coming to grips that like you have the C word, which is cancer. Like uh, that, that, that's a scary word in itself, yeah. and. Uh, kind of from going through the the, the whole cancer process with the doctors and all that the doctors can't really tell you much until they know so at the first couple of weeks when they told me that I had cancer I kept like even after surgery when they told me it was worse than they thought like they never told me how serious or how not serious it was they just told me that it was serious and it's cancer in your head in, in your head, you're kind of thinking, okay, do I have a week to live here? Do I have a year to live here? Because that's why every person that isn't familiar with cancer thinks, they uh, they think that cancer is a killer. And yes. it is, but it also isn't. You know, you have to keep your head up high. You have to, like, keep moving on. You have to keep positive about the, the whole situation. And that's where I kind of struggled at the start. Like, I didn't know any information. And... Honestly, I didn't even look up any information on my phone, like, I didn't sleep at night and Sarah would get on the phone and she would be like, why are you not sleeping? And I'd be like, I'm thinking about it too much. And she'd be like, Just don't look at anything on your phone. Have a chat with the doctors because sometimes the phone and the information on the internet can be misleading or it could be the worst information you know, kind of send away. So that was kind of the biggest uh, step to get over. But then as soon as I kind of got to go ahead and as soon as I got talking to the oncologist and and my urologist, and he was telling me, listen, testicular cancer, when got is probably the best cancer you can get. And the way he said that, he was like, obviously it's not good getting cancer, but like testicular cancer is like 99% survival rate. And you got out a good time. Like obviously waiting four years is is a long time to be, to be, doing that, like obviously you want to get it in the first year, so that's why I kind of encouraged, as soon as I got it, I told all my mates to check themselves, I told my dad, I told my, my, I put my whole family through a whole checkup, like I told them to go get, like because breast cancer is huge in my family, which I didn't know about at the start, I didn't think there was a lot of cancer in my family, until I had a, a sit down with my mother and I said, man, we need to, we need to look back to our parents, to our grandparents, 'Cause my grand my grandmother had breast cancer. My mother's two sisters had breast cancer. So it's it is in the family. So that was kind of the biggest the biggest struggle with getting to know what cancer is and getting to know that cancer is in the family and how to deal with it.
2: Sarah, so, do you have anything you want to add yeah. to that? Uh yeah. So uh kind of writing on the end of his knowing your family history is a huge one. Yes. Um Cause you know, I, I've never dealt with cancer in my family. And as far as I'm concerned, there hasn't been. And so Shane, as far as he was concerned, there hadn't been either. The doctors was like, well, does cancer run in your family? And he immediately said no. And so we talked to his mom and he's the first male in his family to have cancer. Um, females are the only ones that have ever been diagnosed and it was all breast Um, which is interesting to see it kind of transfer over, you know, it's obviously a hormonal trait of some sort, Mm -hmm. um, if you can even specify it like that. Um, But he was the first male, which is why he had no clue. And so even then, it was still a little taboo to talk about it. Um, You know, and knowing that, I don't know if he would have been a little more on top of it or a little more willing to do certain things yeah. Yeah. or go to the doctor quicker. Um,
1: you you would have. I was very <clears throat> I was very like naive, uneducated, um, ignorant about the whole situation and uh, and that's where it comes from. I keep going back to like the Irish mentality. Like Irish men are probably the tickest people like in the world. They're just so stubborn and just like no, no, I'm not going to a doctor. I'm grand, I'm grand. <laughs> but like, you're not. Like, there's, there's countless men in Ireland that are walking around with a limp, walking around with, with like, just like stuff in their stomach, like stomach problems where they just don't care because they have to go to work. And that's kind of where, where yeah. my fault was because I was living check to check because I didn't have any insurance because I was in a country that I didn't know about. I just put it in the back of the head because my father is up at five o'clock every morning and it doesn't matter if he's injured or sick or anything he's up because he has to pay for his whole family and that's kind of where i was thinking if if i'm going to go to the doctor and if they're going to tell me listen you're out for a month like that's my bar job gone, you know so the fear of losing my job as a person that as as an irish guy in america is It's very worrying. So that's kind of where I I left it at the back of the head. I just didn't get it sorted. But you just can't do that, guys. That's what I'm telling all my friends, my family. You just can't leave it at the back of your head because it just gets worse and worse.
2: Yeah. And it's just anything. You don't really know how hard something is until you have to go through it yourself. Um, You know, I've never dealt with any sort of cancer in my life, I've had, you know, sicknesses and different things but never cancer and i just didn't know anything about it i was super naive i had had friends whose parents had had cancer before and i and i was mortified once i went through it that i didn't check up on somebody as often you know just a simple how are you doing today makes such a huge difference yeah. when somebody's going through these moments and i yeah. you start to realize who is really on top of that and you know, those people were like our saving graces, you know. I had <clears throat> excuse me, taken on the business on my own for a lot of the time. I was coordinating all of Shane's pickups and drop offs. You know, I kind of turned into almost mother bear <laughs> and was like, okay, you know, like who's gonna pick up Shane today and who's dropping him off? And I think COVID was a really big one. We haven't really talked about that, but Going through this during COVID, Shane had to go through it by himself, one hundred percent. He was not allowed any visitors in the hospital. Um, fortunately, they did allow me to go in his first round of chemo, which was really nice because I got to see it firsthand and understand the process and know what his day to day would be like. Um, but other than that, he had to be on on his own. So, what we did to kind of boost his spirits every day was a new person would drop him off in the morning and a different person would pick him up in the afternoon so that he would still get his visitors in on the days that he was in. And that was super helpful. And in New York, it's very hard to find somebody who not only will give up their time, but has a car to do so. Yeah. Yeah. And that was difficult. Um, So, you know, the support of, by chance, one of my old bar regulars is a urologist. And when when all of this had gone down, she was our angel, like a huge, huge thank you to Courtney, because when I had found out, I just, I was so sad at work one day that I had told one of my friends, my coworkers, and she was like, we should talk to Courtney. She's a urologist. And so I did. And she put us in touch with the best doctors in the city did all of the legwork for us. And I didn't that was another thing that I didn't realize was such a huge help until the end was she had done all the legwork for us because all they said was, okay, you have to go have surgery now. And you just trust the doctor. You don't know who to go to. And then they say, okay, next yeah. chemo. And you have to look for under yourself for yourself as to who carries your insurance, what's closest to your living situation, where how can you get there. And these are all the things that she really jumped in and just totally eliminated and took off of our plates, and so, yeah, that's kind
1: of that's kind of where. So kind of our my our, my first doctor that we had my first urologist. So I was going to see him on my own, and he was telling me that oh it's just cyst and all this, and then we will put you on antibiotics, and then I'm going home and I'm telling I'm telling Sarah that oh yeah I'm on antibiotics, don't worry, and then when I went back he was kind of like, oh no, this, this is cancerous, and I'm kind of like, huh? What do, you, what do you mean, you just told me two weeks ago that it was a cyst, and he goes like, yeah, we need to do surgery in two weeks, so I'm like, I'm getting hit with so many kind of like punches, I'm, I'm getting shocked so many times, I'm on my own as well, and remember I told you I don't do well listening to doctors when I'm in there, <laughs> so I'm coming out with small little snippets of information and that's where i'm texting sarah saying that hey the doctor's telling me i have cancer now and i have surgery in two weeks and i'm like like if you're telling telling a young man or a young woman that like listen it's it's fine one week and then two weeks later it's it's a whole different scenario you're kind of like i, I was very shocked that was, i yeah. I didn't know what I didn't know what to do. I was kind of in a very vulnerable place, and then that's where Sarah, thank God, she was just she opened up her mouth in work, and she just found out that <laughs> one of her regulars was a urologist, and she took over. She was kind of like, "Listen, let me take over because it's all about who you know, not what you know. You you need to have friends. Like sometimes doctors just think like use you as a number, like."
2: she did. And it was really, it was amazing even to the time. So when Shane had gone in for his surgery, um, they expedited it as quickly as possible by the time. So he had gone to one doctor that he was assigned to just by, um, residential location. And so after we had started talking to Courtney, she was like, I have a friend who's a specialist in this specifically. I, you know, this is where you should go. So she had sent us on to a second opinion And we decided to move forward with this doctor. And he was amazing, expedited it within a week. Shane was in the surgery room. And so because they were all kind of friends and she knew me, uh, Shane had given them permission to talk to me while he was in surgery. And at this point, they didn't know it was cancerous. They just knew that it was a lump that needed to be removed. And so while he was in surgery, she calls me. And she says, I have permission to talk to you and I need to let you know what's happening. And they had already known that it was cancer and that it had spread into his lymph nodes, abdomen, and all the way up to his lungs. Mm. And so I'm walking down. I remember walking down the street looking for somewhere to find breakfast, killing some time for the surgery. And she calls me and tells me he has cancer. And I didn't. I'm not a very emotional person. And so my emotions came flooding. I hysterically lost it in the street, walking down Fifth Avenue in the middle of Manhattan. Oh, boy. Broke down into tears. You see people staring at me, but, you know, no one knows what to do or what's happening. And I just hysterically lost it. And then about 30 seconds later, I was like, okay, what do I do? And so she walks me through the whole situation. But in that sense, I never could have broken down like that in front of him. So, you know, like, and and that's why we call her our angel because – She eliminated so much stress in certain situations that we had no idea how much stress she had alleviated until it was all said and done. And so by the time Shane had got to me, they had to wake him up from surgery and tell him and still in anesthesia, still through all of his, you know, just going through a whole surgical procedure was still foggy, cloudy. Had no clue what's happening. They wake you up and say, "You have cancer." Okay, you need to go home now and get out of here because it's COVID. So, oh my. you know, like so, all of these things. And he's texting me, calling me, "Are you here? What's happening?" They, they're telling me something I don't really understand. I said, "I know the full story. You can come." Yeah, whenever you're ready, and I'll explain to you what's happening. And on the car ride home, I had to tell him his diagnosis. You know, it's just – it's insane the way it all worked out. But, you know, I was so thankful for that connection. And I and we know that so many people go through this, don't have that. Right, right. You know, we we're just like, oh, how, how can we help anybody that's going through this? You know, and that was the one thing that, like, we were so thankful for was just being – Given a 10 step ahead of the game throughout every single process that we went through, you know, and that's just it's just stress, you're just relieving stress, and this is such a high stress situation, you don't know until you go through it. Well, and
0: you make a really good point, especially in New York City. But I've interviewed other young men who, um, you know, have had testicular cancer, but have also talked about finding a doctor who has experience with this because, as you saw with your first urologist, who didn't, it sounds like, didn't know what it was, had you wait two weeks. And, you know, there are places around the country that, you know, you can find where they have experience they being the physicians and they know how to treat testicular cancer, do whatever surgery and so forth. So you're really lucky Courtney was there. Like, as you said, your angel, because I yeah. think it really made a big difference for you. So I'm so glad that it yeah. happened. So, um,
1: it did, it did. It was kind of like a, a person you could ring and she could kind of talk to you off the phone and say, she could dummy it down. She could be listening to Shane don't worry about it, we've got you, you're in good hands. Whereas a doctor, when he's in his uniform, has to protocol and, right. and say the correct words and the correct terminology and all that. That's that's where I kind of struggled at the start because the doctor can't tell you that, hey, listen, you're going to be okay. You know what kind of way? Because there's some scenarios where it's like, you're not okay, and then the doctor is like, then he's held responsible. So sometimes the doctors have to say their side before they kind of, like, explain what the situation right, right. is. So that's what I kind of learned going through through my, uh, my my process.
0: Well, I also will just say quickly before I get back to ice cream um, that I'm glad you told your family, Shane, as well, because I think that's another roadblock for many young men is to check their testicles, you know, and people. Yeah. You, you th- it's like doing a breast exam. You know, it's like, oh, everybody knows that. Well, no, they don't, you know. Yeah. And, no. Um, so.
1: And you don't know until, until someone kind of goes through it. So all my friends are aware of it because I've gone through it. But like,
0: I think the family history is important. I'm adopted and I have found my uh, birth family and I know my history and there's lots of cancer on my mother's side, my birth mother's side. So, you know, which I've had too. Um, but let's go back to your ice cream now, because what are you going to do now? COVID's still here, but are you going to be back in your bars and coffee shop or what's what's going to happen with the Big Shane's ice cream?
1: Yeah got a small little mention on Fox five good morning show so they were just doing a small little article on how um a small little business came about during covid and then obviously because i got cancer and how it went along with with the whole cancer process oh yeah big shane's ice cream is just getting bigger and bigger each week and um, this summer is going to be crazy and um, we're moving into a lot of bars we're moving into moving to manufacturing at the end of the month and um, we're getting a company to make our ice cream for us upstate oh they're gonna wow. put it yeah i know we're getting, great. getting fancy now we are <laughs>
2: Sarah, yeah, I'm are you? really gonna, excited for that. Yeah, are you going to be
0: the recipe developer for the ice creams?
2: Yeah. So all of our recipes so far are homemade. They're all of our recipes. Um, I create them. Shane approves them. And, um, you know, I, I call him Mikey likes it because he loves to take a bite and either says it's delicious or it's horrible. So, um, you know, he's very honest, which I love hate, you know, but it but it makes me yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> I get in trouble. A lot I'm like be nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're we have a lot of f- pending flavors. We've tried to perfect our staples up until now. So our honeycomb, um, we have an Irish ginger swirl which mm. has Irish cream liqueur in it. Um, we have our Rocky road to Dublin, which has a little bit of Guinness stout in there. Um, you know, we have like our Irish staples that we're really trying to make sure that they're a hundred percent solid before we move it into factory setting. But that is the most exciting part is we've gotten, you know, to the point to where COVID has actually helped us grow and in a good way. So now we could mass produce and all of these things and flavors We have so many flavors, everybody wants a certain flavor do this and Irish coffee and, you know, raspberry ripple. And what about some more vegan line? And so, yeah, no, we're super excited. This summer has a lot to bring. Um, You know, we're super thankful for to even have this opportunity throughout the cancer and COVID and everything that we've been through. And it just seems like that was five years ago because this whole year has gone by so fast yet. So slow. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's been a really yeah. great thing, but we're excited to move forward with all the ice cream and kind of make this just a story behind us at this point.
1: Yeah, put it in the back of the head again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One of the most unusual flavors I had was um, in Kansas City a couple of years ago with my brother and his wife, and it was burnt ends ice cream. Because, you know, Kansas City is a big barbecue oh. town. Um, yeah. It was different. Oh, I'm yeah. not saying it was a fake, but it's you know it's something different. You <laughs> could add some uh, whiskey or something to that, maybe. But um, I thought that was. Yeah, yeah, people
1: are starting to get brave now with ice cream. Um, just yeah. wait for a tomato ketchup ice cream. Oh gosh. Yeah, or ice cream. <laughs> we used to make it peach ice
0: cream. It. We had fresh peaches and would make that when I was a kid. But so uh, now, Sarah, are you still actually? <laughs> are you doing your pastry chef in the coffee shop? Are you still? creating pastries
2: or um no not anymore so covid had everything had shut down and because the coffee shop that we had opened up was still brand new they ended up merging it with the bar so it wasn't its own separate entity anymore okay um which actually worked better for everybody um so i had helped them kind of create this item You know, all their food items, some drinks, and help them kind of create a separate brand. But then merging it in with their bar was better for them. Um, I also realized I am not a 6 a.m. person um, because all of my other jobs, I didn't have to start till 9 or 10. And so, because I wasn't the baker of the day. And so, when I started doing that, I'm like, oh, this is just not for me. (laughs) Um, But it worked out in everybody's favor, you know, uh, COVID with the reopening of everything in COVID, we decided it's best that I focus on the ice cream as much as possible to kind of help us get to this point. Um, we did have some delays, obviously, with the cancer. We would have hopefully been into manufacturing six not, months yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, But we're okay. We're organically growing. So it's Great. it's actually worked out in our favor. Um, So no, I'm just focusing on the ice cream right now. And you know, it's literally Shane and I, myself, who do everything. Um, We do have a designer that helps us just because I'm not 100% perfect in, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator. But other than that, it's just been him and I, we don't have employees, we don't have anything, we just figured out along the way. That's wonderful,
0: yeah. Yeah. So my last question for both of you and Shane, I'll start with you, is what advice, and you've already kind of mentioned this, but if other young men are worried about having testicular cancer or think they might have it any tips you want to provide to them
1: yeah yeah as i said just please guys just open up your mouth just just say to someone say to a friend say to your dad even say to like i would have said it to my mother if i was back in Ireland, but i didn't want to burden her with the call and all that so just obviously check yourself a lot of times and my mates are always like how how do you know you've something in there? And I was like, listen, you know your body the best. No one else does. You you know yourself. You'll know one day when you come across something that just just shouldn't be there. You just put the charger in. Sorry. Sorry.
0: Okay. So, Sarah, how about you as a caregiver? Do you have advice for other caregivers who are helping someone with testicular
2: cancer? Um. Yeah. So you know, along the way my goal was to alleviate the stress off of shane which i feel that along with the help of friends and family we were able to do that so when you hear shane talk about it he does he has no clue as to when his appointments were or he didn't have to schedule anything he literally just had to be show up and get better and that was our goal and so one thing with that was you know Reaching out to the person not only who's going through the cancer, but who's aiding in the helping process was super, super helpful. Yeah. You know, everyone who kind of would text me or call me on a day-to-day and just check in to see how I was doing just it it validates everything that you're working for and also allows you to kind of process the situation. You know, I'm very good at turning off emotions and just going and Okay, let's do this. Let's let's fight. Let's we got this. And I think I had to learn how to process. And, you know, I wasn't going through it physically, but mentally and emotionally it was extremely stressful. So, just kind of reaching out to the people that are, you know, even his parents. I would I would check in on them on a daily and tell them what was happening. You know, your son is doing great. He's, you know, or today he's you know having an okay day and he's sleeping half the day. You know, I would let them know what was happening. Because um, they were so far away, And I think just constant communication, not being afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Um, some people yeah. I know never reached out because they feel like, well, that's so personal. I heard about it, but I didn't want to ask you. And I'm like, well, you, sh-, you know, I, I would have more appreciated you been like, hey, listen, I heard what's happening. If you need anything, I'm here. Or I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Like those tiny, tiny mm-hmm. words are the best thing. It's you know, when you're mourning something or going through, you know, and I don't want to say mourn because that's associated with death, but you're processing these situations. Just the thought that somebody else is thinking about you is extremely helpful. You know, people don't know what to say or do, and they'd kind of look at you and just kind of feel sad for you. And, you know, it's just the acknowledgement, I would say is the biggest thing. Um, And, you know, we had that left and right, and I'm super thankful for that. Um, my family, my friends, yeah. Shane's friends, Shane's best friends were checking on me all the time, you know, and that's also really nice, just to support. It's
1: yeah, it's yeah, support is everything, and then kind of just like the the mental aspect, like me- mental mental health is obviously serious within young men, especially in Ireland, especially in America. Like, when between the ages of twenty and twenty five, like you're very young, you're very vulnerable, so just guys just get out and just talk to each other. I know it sounds a bit weird that like, oh, hey, guys don't, like the little things like bringing food to me was was like just unbelievable like just the small little tokens of appreciation and the love was just crazy
0: yeah so last question really last question where can our listeners find big shane's ice cream if you're in the new york city area
2: so where um, uh, are located um in a few different wholesale locations where you can pick up pints and half pints and things like that. But in the next month, things are going to be changing to where you could go straight on our website and order shipments nationwide. Ooh. So that's our goal for um distribution and manufacturing so that you can just no matter where you are, New York or not, you can try Chicago. Big Ice Cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the um, website
0: live now? Can you give us that URL?
2: Yes. So it's um, bigshanesicecream.com. And you can actually put your email into a mailer so that once we start shipping, we'll send you a promo code, try us out, um, kind of get the notifications when we're ready to go. And hopefully within the next month to two months, everything will be, you know, past the beta testing and make sure that everybody gets their ice cream perfect.
0: Wow. I'm ready. I'll be looking. (laughs) so I want to thank you both for being with me today this was a really good conversation very you know I think helps a lot of people and I'll just tell our listeners to join us next time for don't give up on testicular cancer
2: thank you so much for having us thank you
0: Remember during Testicular Cancer Awareness Month to talk with your sons, brothers, husbands, partners, and others about this cancer that affects one in every 250 males during their lifetime. Teenage boys through men in their 50s can be diagnosed with testicular cancer. And in 2021, the American Cancer Society expects diagnosis of almost 9,500 men with this disease. And remember, about 440 of these men will die from testicular cancer. Be vigilant and speak up if you find a lump on your testicle. And join us next time for Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation.